0: It's amazing to me that a man who lived in the late 1100s, early 1200s, is a man that we're still quoting today. He had such an impact on his culture that we're using his wisdom in our world. St. Francis of Assisi has been quoted many times, and that prayer is the prayer of St. Francis that's often used to keep us on track and keep the main thing the main things. But there is a quote of his that gets bantered about that really didn't come from him that Christians like to use a lot. And the quote is this, preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. How many have heard that? Probably most of us have heard that quoted somewhere. The problem is there is no record anywhere that St. Francis ever said that. In fact, it doesn't even show up until 1990. 1990. I think what happened, can't prove this, is someone tried to capture what St. Francis had said, boil it down, and said, St. Francis said something like this, and then it found its way to the internet, and all of a sudden, if it's on the internet, you know that Abraham Lincoln regularly posted to the internet, right? You all know that. So um, then it becomes real to us, and we quote it. Now, St. Francis did say some things that were similar. He said, it is no use walking anywhere to preach unless our walking is our preaching. He also said, as for me, I desire this privilege from the Lord that never may I have any privilege from man except to do reverence to all and to convert the world by obedience to the holy rule rather than by example, rather by example than by word. So he did talk about the value, the importance or priority of our lifestyle matching our words. And I do know there are places where you can't use words and you can use lifestyle, and that our preaching should involve both. So I'm not against what was said, except for this usage of the false quote of St. Francis that Christians hide behind. Well, I don't ever talk about my faith, I just live it. Since St. Francis said, and he gets quoted, I don't talk about my faith. I just live it. Well, let's see if that would even fit the lifestyle of St. Francis. He ministered in a preliterate world. People weren't able to read and write, and so preaching was primary. St. Francis wasn't a priest, but he had a dispensation from Rome to be a preacher. And most of the world that he ministered in was nominal Christian, so his Preaching was to call people to live what their mouth says that they believed. He was a character of a preacher. When you read about how he preached, he used the methods of the troubadours of the day, of the common minstrels of the day, and did things that were just way out of uh, the normal church character. People loved him. They loved his preaching. People would gather to hear him speak. He was compared to some of the great preachers of our day. One of the things that was unique with St. Francis is the living nativity that we celebrate today was made popular by St. Francis in the 1200s. Now I don't mean to be crass but I want you to know what his intent was with the living nativity. It wasn't so that you could see a live example but he wanted real cows in the live nativity who would do their thing. And say that the nativity wasn't the pristine event that we put in manger scenes. It was a smelly, dirty ordeal that involved people and problems. And the barn was a stinky place as well as a divine place. And people gathered to hear what he would have to say. He saw the story of Scripture as something to be lived and experienced, not merely commemorated. He preached in ways that were intentionally disruptive to nominal faith, pointing to active participation in the faith rather than just lip service to the faith. So I think you can see that his emphasis wasn't live instead of preach. It was make sure that when you preach or what you profess, that your lifestyle backs it up. One of his biographers said this about him His words were neither hollow nor ridiculous, but filled with the power of the Holy Spirit penetrating the marrow of the heart so that listeners were turned to great amazement. He called people to live out what they said they believed, not to live out what they weren't talking about. Now, again, as I've already said, there are times where you have to live it and not speak it, but... Living godly while important is not the primary means of evangelism. The Bible does say in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father which is in heaven. But it likewise says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? When Paul talks about the redemption of the world, he doesn't say just live your life. He's saying without the proclamation of the gospel, no one will be able to believe. So church, I'm calling you to a place that we re-embrace the idea that while we are living out our faith, we need to also be giving voice to our faith. That they need to run in tandem. They need to run together. Yes, you need to live it, But yes, you need to profess it. Don't hide behind the the idea that living it is more important than saying it. Saying it is just as important as living it. So make sure that your living doesn't undermine your speaking because it doesn't match your proclamation. Lifestyle was not intended to be a primary means of evangelism. We're talking about the E-word of evangelism, that both in the church and in the world today, when you say evangelism, people react negatively. It's the E-word. How do we redeem the E-word of evangelism? We redeem the E-word of evangelism with other E-words. Last week, we, uh, we talked about the E-word of encouragement, that when you encourage others, it will open a door for us to be able to share our faith. To be an encourager. I know there are a number of stories that have been posted, and I hope that you were engaged in some fashion uh, last week in encouraging somebody. How many of you can think of some event this past week that God helped you to be an encouragement to someone? Let me see your hands. You see, that will help us redeem the E-word, that we're not here to just say what we're against. We're here to say what we're for. We're not here to proclaim to dirty sinners who are going to hell, that's a condemnation they'll experience by their lifestyle. We're to say to them that Jesus died for you because you have value and he loves you and he wants a great way of living for you and the new abundant life that he has for you can only be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, I believe that to be true. I believe the greatest thing that we can do for anyone on planet earth is share with them the message of a God who loves them and has a better way of life for them and wants to elevate everything about them. If I really love people, I should want to share with them the greatest news this world has ever heard, and that's that Jesus came to lift us out of our darkness, put us into light, liberate us from the sins that enslave us, and help us live in freedom and joy and peace. And that's something worth shouting about that wasn't a shout but I'll take it the e-word this morning is express it's easy for us to say that people have rejected our message because they reject the gospel I'm here to declare to you that that's not often the case They reject the messenger much more often than they reject the message. (laughs) The way we express it matters. What kind of people ought we be in this world that our expression of faith is accepted by the world around us? And I want to challenge you, there's some things about our foundation of speech, about the way we communicate, that's really important that we embrace if anyone's going to believe us. So please... Today, before you leave, pick up an invite card and express an invitation. Take a prayer card and put some names on there and express to God who you're praying for. Let's express it, but let's make sure that our expression matches the message we're trying to communicate. How do we do that? What does that look like? Well, I'd suggest to you first that if you want to redeem the E word of evangelism by your expression, that you need to be a person that keeps your word. You need to keep your word. It's that simple. People need to believe in what you have to say, that they can count on what you have to say. Above all, my brothers, James five twelve, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, or you will be condemned. Do not swear. Now, when you hear that in our contemporary vernacular, we think about it as using cuss words. And that's really not what's being addressed here. In fact, let me take just a minute to talk to you about cuss words, that there really are really three kinds of speech we should avoid. The Bible tells us not to take the Lord's name in vain. Why, because he's holy, he's lifted up. It shouldn't be used in a common fashion. It shouldn't be used in a degrading fashion. It helps us see him high and lifted up and how we use his name becomes vitally important. And so when you use God's name in vain and when someone says, by God, I'm gonna do this or I'm gonna do this by God, what you've really called upon is God to affirm what you're going to do. And the Bible tells us not to do that. Don't use his name in vain. Now for Christians, not related here, but in that swear word context, there's some words that are just vulgar. And culture defines what vulgarity is. I remember uh, an elder pastor that we hired, the first church that I, uh, second church that I pastored, we hired a a retired prison chaplain. I felt like that was appropriate to minister to Christians. (laughs) (laughs) oh I could go off on a tangent here and I'm restraining myself as much as I possibly can and one of the ladies in the church was with child and he wanted to tell me that he'd heard that he walked over and he said pastor did you know that and said the gal's name did you know that she's PG. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know if she was in a movie. I didn't know. What? She's PG. Pure gold. What? And then it dawned on me. I said, oh, she's pregnant. It was like I'd cursed because in his generation, that was coarse language. Now, I'll I'll suggest to you that while that may seem ridiculous today, in that generation, what were they trying to do? They were trying to keep a holy reverence for certain things that happen in the household that should not be publicly talked about. And today, we talk about things we ought not talk about. It was considered coarse language to talk like that. And some of the words that we use, culture defines as coarse, and a Christian shouldn't use coarse language or coarse jesting. The other is when we curse others. When we say, I've been weighing over whether to say this or not, but when you say, I'm looking at my wife and she's saying, careful. (laughs) Do you know when someone says, God damn it, what that means? It means you're asking God to send that thing to eternal damnation. We damn things that are not going to heaven or hell. Don't damn your car if you want it to run. (laughs) Why would you do that? We had a softball team, and one of my favorite stories, some of you have heard me tell it before. We were doing warm-ups, infield-taking pop-ups, The ball hit his glove and hit the ground, and he said, God, damn it, when he missed it. And I walked over to him, and I said, "Um, I really would prefer you not say that. And he said, oh, I know, I know, I shouldn't. I said, no, you missed the point. Um, You just asked God to damn our team, and we need him to bless us. We don't need him to damn you that you'll miss more pop-up flies. Next time you miss one, say, God, bless me. (laughs) I wasn't offended by the language. I was terrified by what it meant. (laughs) Are you hearing what I'm saying? So what James is saying to us in the area that we've broadened to be cursing or swearing, he's saying don't swear at all, not by heaven or by earth or by God or any other thing, that your word should be strong enough that you don't have to call God to come alongside you to verify that what you say is true. So even when you say... And Paul comments in this way, God is my witness. But when you make an oath in the name of God, you're simply admitting that your character isn't believable. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. No emphasized by the words, above all my brothers and James's practical Christian living. And if we want to redeem evangelism and be a force for good in our world, then it starts way before we tell a gospel message. It's whether or not you tell the truth. Pastor Eben paid a tremendous compliment to our family this week. Um, there was a group that was supposed to come to work and Tiffany was um, leading that group, and they were supposed to be here at 9 o'clock. There was a car sitting out there, and someone sitting in the car at 9 o'clock, before 9, and none of the rest of the team was here. Didn't get here to what, maybe 9.30, whatever it was. And he said to me, um, I knew that was a pilcher because she would be on time. If you say 9 o'clock and you show up at 9.15, why should I believe what you tell me about Jesus. Is anybody hearing me this morning? Our words should mean something. I know things happen where you can get caught in traffic. (laughs) But I also know some of you have been on your way somewhere praying for a train. (laughs) Is anybody hearing me now? Boy, I sure hope I get stopped by a train because I'm already late and I need something to blame it on. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. It should be among believers that... We are the most believable, reliable people in the world that if we say we're going to do something, that we do it above all, James says. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. <laughs> I've had people tell me, yes, they do something that, they know, that I know they had no intention of doing. We're not to be that kind of people. The Bible says this in Psalm 15, verses 1 to 4, kind of pulled out of there. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? Now let's pause there a minute. How many of you want to go to heaven? Not right now, I'm not taking up a group, but you you want to go to heaven. Let me see your hands. You want to go? All right. Someday, sometime, when that time comes, I want to go to heaven. And how many of you want to live in the blessing of God now? I do. I want to live in his presence. I want to live on his holy hill. I want to live in his presence now and go to heaven someday and spend forever with him. So the psalmist is saying, if that's what you want, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? Here's one of the characteristics in that section. He who keeps his oath even when it hurts. I was first taught that by the pastor that I worked for in Cedar Rapids, the first position I held, and I can't remember today what the situation was about, but I had made a commitment to do something, and then it became inconvenient, and I wanted to know if there was a way to get out of that. And he looked at me and he said, brother, or son, or whatever, it wouldn't have been brother, but it might have been child. Blessed is the man. Here's what he said to me. Scripture, blessed is the man that swears to his own hurt and changes not. Who are the people that are going to dwell in the presence of God? They keep their word even when it hurts them. Well, what does that mean? Let's suppose that you're, at a, you're hosting a garage sale at your house and you have a trinket there that you have put $3 on. And you hear two people over there talking and this person wants to buy it and they Offer you $3 and someone hollers out, oh, no, that's a classic antique. It's worth $3,000. Give me that back. Now, once you've entered into the contract for $3, it doesn't matter any longer what it's worth. That's what swearing to your own hurt and not changing is about. Hello? I didn't expect you to shout and run, but it'll help our gospel message If we're people that our yes is yes and our no is no, and we keep our word, elbow someone and say, I hope this gets over soon. (laughs) In fact, in Ecclesiastes, it takes us another step. When you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. (laughs) Fulfill your vow. It's better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. God isn't asking you, to dicker with him and make a bargain. And he's saying, don't vow to God and then not keep it. If you make a vow, keep it. And if you make a vow to other people, keep it. I could take this so many um, directions, but I think you get the general drift that our word needs to be our bond. I'll tell you a, a, a story Okay, can I to tell you a story? I feel like when I say that, I need to pull a big rocking chair and open a book, and start off with "Once upon a time." But I had a long conversation when Carol and I were looking at buying a a house, a property, and talking to the guy that was selling, and he said, "I don't like all this." I don't like all this legal mumble jumbo and all the contracts. He said, I think a man's word should be his bond and we ought to deal with a handshake. And I said, I agree. And we had a handshake that said it wouldn't sell had an opportunity to buy, and then it sold out from under me. I value contracts. <laughs> <laughs> now, that person is not a person I would trust to hold $5 while I walked around the house. Your word needs to be your bond. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We need to be people that are believable. We need to do what we say. <laughs> oh, I just had a great thought. If you're volunteering in, in promised land and you're on the schedule, Amen. Hallelujah. If you're committed to work coffee, if you're committed to do something else, some people think that having a good excuse is the same as doing the job. It isn't. The job needs to be done. Now, I know there are things that come up, but it's really easy for us to invent excuses rather than keeping our word. <laughs> oh, I feel so lonely right now. I just feel all alone up here. Second, second, second is speak the truth. That's different than keeping your word. It's broader, it's bigger. Speak the truth. Ephesians 4.15 says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. Speaking the truth in love should be the nature of the believer. Be a truth teller. (laughs) Do you know anybody that when they start to tell a story, as soon as their mouth opens, you quit believing? (laughs) It's one thing to exaggerate. It's another thing to flat-out lie. When you tell a story, when you're talking about your life events, when you're talking about uh, anything in any general context, are you known as a person that can be banked on? I can believe if they told me that is the truth that they've done their research, they've done their homework, they know whereof they speak. And now think about it. Being a Christian is not joining a church. How many of you know that? Three of you. Wow, I'm going to have a great altar call in a moment. How many of you know that being a Christian isn't just joining a church? What is it? It's saying to our, our Heavenly Father that we need an advocate Because sin has separated us from God and created a debt that we can't pay. And that Jesus is our substitute and he has paid our debt. And we ask for our sins to be forgiven based on the virtue of Jesus' sacrifice, that we will walk in newness of life because of his resurrection. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit then takes up residence on the inside of us and that if any person is in Christ Jesus, they are a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. Now, let me ask you a question. Who is the father of lies? <laughs> ah, I'm getting scared up here. Who is the father of lies? Satan. Satan is. What is the spirit of God? He's the spirit of truth. And the transformation that takes place is those of us who have a tendency to lie. And by the way, I'm going to interject something here. Please don't tell me that your kids won't lie. Every child that's ever been born that speaks any language will lie. It's part of the fallen nature. Everybody has a temptation sometime or another to lie. And when we come to Christ that's redeemed because the father of lies is dethroned and the spirit of God takes in or takes on new life on the inside of us that means we should become truth tellers. <laughs> truth tellers. There's a beautiful picture in Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, the great prophet Isaiah, who is one of the great prophets in Old Testament um, tradition, when you talk about the great prophets, Isaiah will lead that challenge. In fact, the gospel is found woven throughout the prophetic declarations of Isaiah. When Isaiah came to this place of life change, in the year that King Uzziah died, He says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train, or his robe, filled the temple. He talks about the seraphs that hovered around the throne with six wings that cried, holy, holy, holy. And he was filled with awe and wonder over what he had seen. The Bible says, at the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And he says, woe is me, I am undone, I'm ruined. And what does he acknowledge? What's the first thing that he sees or says when he sees the glory of God? I am undone, I'm ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, took a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from tongues off the altar, touched my mouth and says, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Then, then I heard a voice saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And the glory of God spoke and said, who will go for us? Whom shall I send? And Isaiah said, Here I am, send me. God didn't listen, didn't issue a call to Isaiah until Isaiah's lips had been purged. Isn't that powerful. I'm going to make application that we should never communicate a gospel message until the fire of God off the altar has purged our lips and we've become people of truth rather than people of falsehood. Be a truth teller. Are you known as a truth teller? Now, you've got to go a little further than that because in Colossians chapter four, verse six, the Bible says, let your conversation be always full of grace seasoned with salt so you will know how to answer everyone. It's not just enough to tell the truth. You have to tell the truth with grace. <laughs> Some things that are true can be said in a way that's just plain mean, hurtful, cutting. And scripture is clear let it be. Let it be always with grace that our truth-telling shouldn't hurt people. It shouldn't be mean. It shouldn't be caustic. You can be a mean, well, I just tell the truth. No, you're just a bully. The biggest tool the bully has is exaggerated truth that's intended to hurt someone and cut at their heart. Let it be with grace. But let your grace not cover up the message, let grace be seasoned with salt, which is a purifier, which is a purging agent. So he's saying, make sure that you have truth and grace, grace and salt wrapped into your lifestyle. What would that look like? The Bible tells us in John chapter 1 that Jesus came, the word, full of two things, grace and truth. Now watch this. He wasn't 50% grace and 50% truth. He was a hundred percent grace and a hundred percent truth and the place that we see that I think the best is the woman that was taking the act of adultery that they wanted to sell, and Jesus is put in a spot where they 're trying to tramp him with his words, and Moses says in the law, "What do you say?" And He writes in the dirt, and they gather around and they press in and then They ask him again, and he waits until they're right next to him as he's riding in the dirt, and he says, Yes, Moses has said that, so the one of you that's without sin cast the first stone. One by one, from the oldest to the youngest, they dissipated till she alone is standing in Jesus' presence. Jesus looked up at her and said, Woman, has no man condemned you? No, Lord. Here's grace. Neither do I condemn you. Any truth that's intended to condemn is not godly truth. Neither do I condemn you. That's grace. Truth, go. And sin no more you have sinned your lifestyle has been wrong but in that moment here's what he is saying to that woman in this encounter with Jesus your past has been sinful and horrible but in this moment my grace is going to impact your life there's only one reason that he wouldn't condemn her because she received grace now truth is I've liberated you from your past. I've liberated you from your sin. I've broken the chains that enslave you. Now go and sin no more. That's truth. Are you hearing me this morning? Let our speech always be seasoned with, uh, always be with grace, seasoned with salt. If there's too much grace, there'll be no truth. If there's too much salt, there'll only be pain. It has to flow together, 100% grace and truth. Paul takes it even a little bit further in writing to the Ephesians when he says, instead, speak the truth in love. We will in all things grow up uh, into him who is the head that is Christ. Here's a line that Christians should evaluate their speech. Why you're saying what you're saying is equally, if not more so, important than what you're saying. Why am I saying what I'm going to say? Often our prayer concerns are a sanctified means of communicating gossip. Why am I saying what I'm saying Why does that person need to hear what I'm saying? Why am I telling what's my intent? And if my intent is because I love you, that means we have a relationship that you believe that I love you and you love me, and things can be communicated that are difficult in a context of a loving relationship that can't be communicated anywhere. Let it be with grace, seasoned with salt, and let it always be with love. What is love? Seeking the well-being of another. Sometimes we want people to quit doing wrong things because it makes our life difficult. You ever wanted some, God to put someone out of your misery? <laughs> love is, it's not my inconvenience I'm trying to get rid of, it's your brokenness that breaks my heart and because I love you I want to tell you truth. I want you to hear truth to pull you into a place where you can experience all that God has for you. What is the motivation for what you're saying, for what you're communicating, for what you're talking about? Let it be because you genuinely love the other person. Will that be misunderstood? Absolutely. Will it always be received? Absolutely not. I can't control how you receive it, but I am responsible for how you receive it. And I need to make sure that I'm communicating that grace, truth, truth in love we can redeem evangelism by being truth tellers keep your word tell the truth and then third if we're going to redeem evangelism develop your skills we don't talk about this a lot but christians have a responsibility to develop your skill set god will grace people differently and equip people differently and our lifestyles are As far as our preferences and the things we enjoy may be different, but our skills should be honed. I believe that God has gifted me to proclaim the gospel. If I really believe that, then I'll work hard on honing my skills. Becomes my responsibility to steward the gift and honor him by doing the best I can with the gift. And here's what Peter says in chapter 3, verse 15. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. What does that mean? If you're going to set apart Christ as Lord, revere Christ as Lord, then to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason of the hope that's in you. Do this with gentleness and respect. The point is, as you set him apart in you, that you're going to work hard at being ready to give an answer. What does that mean? Develop your skills. When I was in high school, many years ago, I was timid at school. I was, I just wanted to survive. I wanted to get out of there alive. Anybody have a similar experience? We should form a club. (laughs) High school survivors. (laughs) I'll never forget one day, I'm walking down the hall, I'm a senior. It's senior week at the high school. There are 1,500 students in my high school, which is bigger than some, smaller than others. And uh, during senior week, no sophomore should have been in the hallways alone. There's a group of seniors, like like a herd of wild boars, walking down the hallway. I'm not in a group, I'm by myself. And someone said, look, a sophomore and I could see blood dripping from their fangs as they bared their claws. They had taken one of the guys, put him in a garbage can, and rolled him end over end the length of the football field. I did not want to experience that that day. One of the guys in the back, as they're approaching, I have no idea, I just thought, Lord, I'm coming home. said no I know him he's a senior he is not a senior he's a senior the point being I tried to I tried to be a non-impact player in high school and to have a conversation with someone I couldn't carry on a conversation for anything one of my best friends his name was Bob Bob could talk to anybody he could talk to a telephone pole and do both sides of the conversation And I just admired him he could just talk to anybody and I couldn't talk to anybody you'd say hi I'd say hi Got nothing else to say. And I used to pray, God, you've called me to be a a preacher. I don't know how to talk to people. Please help me become a better. I prayed this through all three years of high school. Please help me become a better conversationalist. (laughs) Well, I don't know if I'm any better than I was then, but I sure feel better about it. (laughs) It doesn't terrify me. And I can't tell you where it happened or how it happened, but I intentionally began to listen to how my friend talked to people. I began to listen to conversations and how people interacted. And thought, there's a skill set there. And here's what I discovered. I'm going to give you, if you want to be a better conversationalist, let me tell you how to be one. Are you ready? Do you, you want to have people talk to you and tell you everything you want to know just ask them questions about them. Here's what I've discovered. Most people don't want to hear about me. They want to tell me about themselves. <laughs> they do. They do. If I say, you know, what are, do, you, do you have pets at home? What do, you, do you have anything? Yes. What do you have? Two dogs. Two dogs. That's great because I hate cats. I'm glad you have dogs. <laughs> and then you just, you just begin to have a kind of... Do you see how easy that was? It's so easy. and easy. And then um, people will begin to respond In the sharing of the gospel, scripture says, be ready. What does that mean? It means to study, to equip yourself, to prepare for faith conversations. The reason we don't ever share evangelism or our faith story is we're not prepared. We don't have any idea what we would say. When I was a youth pastor, I uh, worked on this with our youth group, and I said, you have 90 seconds And I had someone lay on the floor. I said, this person is going to be dead in 90 seconds. I want you to explain to them what they need to do to get to heaven. And in every case, every youth group member that tried, that person died before they got to the gospel message because they didn't know what to say. Hey, how are you doing? He's laying on the floor dying. How do you think he's doing? Maybe we can skip over the pleasantries and get to the heart of the matter, every, every one of them. So then we began to talk about in practice. How would you share your faith? If a door opened, what would you say? What would you tell them? How would you communicate? I think it's important to listen to yourself if you want to be a public speaker. It's important to watch yourself. Here's what I'd like to encourage you to do this week. Would you take one day this week, stand in front of your bathroom mirror and lead yourself to Jesus? It might help you. And it might also help you equip yourself. Develop your skills. You were put here to be a voice. The power of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1-8 is for what? To be a voice, to be a witness, to share our story. We'll all tell it differently. You probably know me well enough that if we have a conversation, I'm going to have a story in there somewhere. That was way too quick. (laughs) I love to tell stories you may not be a storyteller but you have some other unique ability that can open a door for you to talk to someone from your perspective practice practice develop your skill set the bible says in hosea chapter 14 verse 12 take words with you and return to the lord so here's what Hosea is calling the nation that's backslidden condition, calling them back to God. He didn't say, just come to God and say what's on your mind. If you're going to come to God in repentance, before you come to God, think about and plan what you're going to say. Take with you words, think about what you want to communicate. And if that's important in your relationship with God to take with you words, why not imagine, practice, plan how you would communicate a message that won't be offensive, that won't reinforce the bigotry of evangelicals, but will communicate the love of those who are Christ followers. One night, I was driving home from an event on a blacktop road, blacktop highway in Iowa. And it was during deer season. And how many of you know, I'm curious, how many of you have ever been hit or ran into a deer? Look at that. I'm so thankful. This is not about just Jesus, thank you. I'm going to quit driving today cuz I don't I just I don't want that to happen. And I'm not saying this to criticize, don't I just want to illustrate If we're listening, God can help us take with his words. I'm on my way home. It's a blacktop road. My family's in the car. And this thought crossed my mind. And if I'm going to stay awake while I'm driving, my mind has to stay active. And this thought crossed my mind. If there were a deer in the middle of the highway, what would you do? And I'm driving along, and I'm I'm kind of figuring out my escape route. And they say, don't slam on the brake, you know, but just... (laughs) Drive through the animal, and there's all kinds of things they tell you to do. And so I'm thinking how I would get around, what I would do. And I have all of these strategies planned out. Came over the crest of the hill, and there were three small deer in the middle of the highway. And all I had to do was slow down. Listen, I didn't use any of my strategies. (laughs) But thinking about a strategy made me ready for the event. Are you hearing what i'm saying yes. take with you words what might you do develop your skills be ready to give an answer proverbs chapter 25 verse 11 a word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver now i spent a lot of time just on that verse over the years what are apples of gold in settings of silver and apples of gold was a term that was used in that day for oranges Look like an apple, but they're gold. But it's also a term for a work of art. And here's what I choose to believe. Here's what I believe the Psalm, uh, Solomon is saying. Using the right word is like a work of art. It's beautiful. Do you know a single word can sometimes change someone's direction? A word aptly spoken. How do you do that? How does that happen? Well, works of art don't just happen. Hello? They don't just happen. How many of you are not painters? You're not artists? Let me see your hand. You're not artists. I don't care how spiritual you are. I can give you a canvas and paints and the best that money can buy. Brushes and all the tools. And it's still going to look like a third grader. Because if you, I've never talked to a painter yet or an artist yet that doesn't continually craft their skill. Live in such a way and focus your conversations in such a way. Here's what I want you to start watching for. Pray for God to give you an opportunity that you'll get this back. You'll be talking to somebody, just having a conversation, and in the middle of it, they'll look at you and say, that really helped me today. Shouldn't that be what we want to do? That's what an artist would do. Hey, look at my work of art. You call that art? That is beautiful. I look at what you've done, and it just relaxes me. It helps me. Let's take our words and believe that they can be turned into works of art, that someone will say, that really helped me. It's what the Spirit of God wants to do. It's, it's a word fitly or aptly spoken that helps someone in a problem situation. So be a conversation starter. You can't share your faith if you don't open your mouth. Life and death truly are in the power of the tongue. So I came across this quote that I want to wrap things up with. Stacy, if you or whoever's coming would come, please. Are you ready? How many are listening right now? About half. That's great. That's above average. Everybody join in just for a moment. Speak in such a way that others love to listen to you. Listen in such a way that others love to speak to you. That's what I'm talking about this morning. Speak in such a way that others love to listen to you and listen in such a way that others love to speak to you. We can redeem the E word of evangelism with skilled expressions of our faith. And that comes with how we use our words every day. So here's what I'm going to invite you to do. If you could put that text slide up for me. We're going to start another group this week. Text the keyword EXPRESS to 515-373-8515. Jot that down, take a picture, whatever you want to do. Uh, 515-373-8515. Text the keyword EXPRESS. And I believe how that works, then after that, you get a response back and have an opportunity to share your story that will go in the comment section. I'd love to hear, what are we looking for in this group? Where you've expressed yourself in a way that helps someone, beyond encouragement, but you gave an expression. I'd even welcome someone saying, this week I was tempted to tell a lie and God jerked my chain. (laughs) Where something happened in your relationship to God that involved how you have chosen to express yourself. (laughs) So now this next piece is salt, not grace. It's salt and grace together. But I just feel like as we've gathered together this morning, that there should be opportunity for the Spirit of God to touch our hearts. So I'm going to ask just for a moment with heads bowed, eyes closed. I'm going to ask two questions for you, of you. With no one looking around, by an uplifted hand, you'd say, Pastor Gary, God has touched my heart. And I want my life to change. I'm really not known as a person of my word or I'm not known as a truth teller. I've been loose with my words. I've not kept my word. I've not told the truth like I should. Or I've told the truth and been mean about it. But in that field, in that area, God put his hand on your heart and you want to make this a day of change. Would you simply lift your hand and acknowledge that to God right now. God's moving across this room. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, thank you. Slip your hand, just acknowledge it to him. Thank you. Jesus, you see the hands that are raised this morning. We know we need to be people of truth. And we don't want to destroy our witness by the way we communicate with the rest of our life. Let us be people of truth, people that keep our word, people whose life is marked by grace and truth. And second, if your prayer is God, help me have the courage to put words to my faith in a healthy way. I need your help to put words to my faith. I want to be one that expresses my faith. I want to be more effective in expressing my faith. Would you slip your hands up as well? All right, let's stand together hands going up all Us, we stand together this morning in your presence recognizing how powerful the tongue is that when we bless you and curse men we're living in a place we shouldn't live when, when we use our tongue wrongly it defiles the message of the gospel help us be people who live lives whose lips have been purged and whose words are like a work of art that will bring blessing and life and health to others. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. God bless you. Would you turn and just shake someone's hand? Say something healthy to someone this morning before you go. Say something healthy, life-giving.